the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. A lot going on. It's earnings season. It's my favorite time. Boy, this has been a crazy market. Microsoft reported last week disappointing cloud numbers, and that has kind of played itself out in technology with other cloud companies. Microsoft stock went down in the following day after earnings, and then it came right back up over the coming days. I threw it out there because I think it's worthy of note, except for today's jobs report day. Keep in mind, we're going to talk Apple, we're going to talk Google. Facebook had a blowout quarter. It's not really that they had a blowout quarter. They said 2023 is going to be the year of efficiency. And you may get into your Chinese astrology, or I don't know, the year of the duck, the year of the rat. I think I was born during the year of the rat. What does that tell you? Not good things about me, but I think the year is the bunny. This year in China's new year, and they say, don't get a bunny unless you're going to take, take care of it. Don't, don't do it because it's cute. Because ultimately, um, there are going to be problems. Anyhow, and anyway, um, we're going to talk a lot of stuff today. So thanks for tuning in. Let's see. Yesterday, the NASDAQ was up 3.25%. That's a stunning day. Like, If you were to go back to 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, you didn't see stocks making 3.5% moves as an index. You just didn't. You'd be lucky if they got six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent in a year, and it literally felt like, oh, it was up one half of one percent for the week. And you're like, one half of one percent. The action's bigger and moves faster now. Three point two five percent in one day still stuns me, but a lot of that was Facebook and Apple. The S P five hundred was up one point four percent yesterday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down. A complete reversal of twenty twenty two, where value of the Dow Jones Industrial Average did better than growth of the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 was somewhere in middle. If you hung on to your tech stocks during the route of 2022, you've got a, a little bit of a congratulations feeling going on right now. After another smashing day, tech-focused NASDAQ's off to its best start since 1975. Where were you in 1975? So right now, the NASDAQ's projected to go up 140% for the year. And that's just not going to happen. So are we pulling our gains forward? Or are we going to go test the lows again and then pull gains back in a more normalized manner? Probably going to be somewhere around there. I don't know what I would do if the market was up 140% this year. Seeing that it's a market-weighted index, that would mean Microsoft, Alphabet, Apple, Facebook would all be winner, winner, chicken dinners. Tesla would be thrown in there too. It's market-weighted. So how the big boys do, 
tells you how the market does. It should be called the S&P 500. Really top 20 stocks move the market. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. We're a little bit more than a week away from the Super Bowl. I have nothing to say about that today. Um, what I do have to say about it from earlier this week was that some food components are down, like avocado and chicken wings. Some food components like beer are up 11% year over year. Wine up 3% year over year. And soda up 25%. I know you're saying soda's up 25%. It still goes back to one of my favorite scenes in the movie, The Running Man, where Arnold Schwarzenegger is the future dystopian society and I guess a blonde reporter because every movie had to have a blonde reporter to be the romantic potential interest for Arnold Schwarzenegger in 80s actions movies, 90s action movies, probably 90s action movies, right? That's probably more fair. Great premise of a movie. Better short story by Stephen King, The Running Man. Um he walks by a soda machine and it says something like $200 for a soda and it's set in the future. So you're like, Oh, ho, 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 it's inflation. That's inflation. That's inflation. That's the thing that we hate in 2022. And today the jobs report is kind of messing it up because the fed can raise interest rates, it makes it more expensive to get a mortgage home prices fall. It makes it more expensive to use your credit cards. People buy less. Less goods sold means goods don't need to be created, means jobs can be cut, but that's not happening right now. So the Fed's kind of pushing on a string, kind of hoping the jobs market kind of fixes itself because what they're doing isn't really solving the problem. Let's talk a little bit more about this. There have been many phases to the markets. Today, it's going to be Apple, it's Alphabet, it's Amazon, Qualcomm, Starbucks, Ford. Ford had a disappointing Ford's quarter. I've never seen a CEO as shooken. Maybe I have. I don't want to sound too dramatic, but he looked shook and disappointed that he wasn't able to deliver for investors. And it's interesting because they literally said during the conference call, we left billions on the table. And that doesn't make you feel good if you're an investor. Qualcomm said the demand for things that use wireless technologies going down this quarter and well into next quarter. We're going to get into the big three, Amazon, Alphabet, and Apple as the show unfolds. But today, the payroll growth in January, which was widespread and included a gain of 128,000 for leisure and hospitality, 105,000 people increase in private education and health services, and a 25,900 increase in temporary jobs. The unemployment rate was 3.4%. That's the lowest since 1969. I've thrown some years around today for you. The NASDAQ has never had such a strong month as since 1975. And the unemployment rate has hit a low since 1969. The average work week jumped to 34.7 hours from 34.4. When you start going up over 34 hours, over 33 hours, you start talking about, well, that's going to lead to wage inflation. Your company has to pay you more for overtime. Or they have to go, you know what? Rob looks a little stressed working. We're going to hire one more person. And the Fed wants people not to be hired right now. 
they want people to feel a little bit of pain in their pocketbook. So they don't put as much love, i.e. money into the economy. I'm pleased with where we are, but it feels like there's a, a hyper focus right now on the jobs. The employment report is one to be celebrated in that it supports the narrative of a soft landing. The Federal Reserve is raising interest rates. And as long as we have jobs, ultimately, we'll be able to put food on our table. It may be a, a step down from Chipotle to McDonald's, from McDonald's to ramen noodles, but we will have food if we have jobs. That's the idea. But the Federal Reserve is going to look at it and go, eh, not good. These people are still going to be able to ask for raises, and we got to keep wage inflation somewhere uh, normalized because we can't keep <laughs> The market doesn't like much more than 4%. It doesn't like much less than 2%. And, and that's, that's consistent with inflation. Um, inflation, when it's too cool, 2%, it can lead to a recession very, very quickly. And you see faster layoffs. Employment, when it's 4%, can lead to it's Friday. And instead of saying, thank God it's Friday, I'm going to go drink at the water and hole. I'm a, I'm a steel worker. I'm going to go drink my, my weekly wages. Like every cliche in every movie in the 1980s, right? All the right moves by Tom Cruise. I looked at a, you know, he made over $100 million for making Maverick. I looked at Tom Cruise's career earnings and it's stunning. It literally starts like he got a bucket of, of, of spit. And now he's making $100 million. Okay, so I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous. Okay, maybe I'm a little bit jealous. So kind of wrapping things up, it, it's kind of a volatile week where earnings are telling us some mixed messages. Um, it's not great. And there's going to be a little bit more hell to pay with the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve came out this week and said uh, it, they almost quit on us. Jerome Powell said, you know, we were seeing disinflation. We're just not seeing it in wages and services as much as we are in goods. But for him to say, you know, we're closer to an end than we are to the middle or the beginning of rate hike increases, Wall Street got excited. Um, I think there's a little bit more more pain to go. And here's where I'm going to wrap this thought. We've had one bad year, 12 months of a down market, right? The year before that, we had 70 new highs. One down year doesn't do enough. It's like, I'm going to be an alcoholic for 12 years in a row, and I'm going to take one month off, and now I'm clean and sober for life. No, it doesn't really work that way. It takes a little bit more work. So 2022, let's, let's say we've had 12 out of 13 bad months. Does that put more perspective into it for you? One. After we had a hundred good months, a hundred bad days, make a hundred good stories, a little AGR in my head off that hundred thing going on. Um, my point being is we have a little bit more grinding to do a little bit more cleaning to do. And that's okay. And that's normal. I've never really wanted a recession or down market to last a clean and tidy six to 12 months. It's good if we can shake some of the weaker hands out. 
kind of get some of the froth out of of the of the frothiest beers or the frothiest stocks. We're not in a bad situation. It's not bad. Okay. It's getting better. But that's tough to explain. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't want to work forever? Check out the retirement planning guide on robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. Interesting day on Wall Street. Yesterday, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet all reported numbers. And they showed some weakness. They showed some problems. They showed some cracks. Some of it was tied towards COVID. Some of it was tied towards production. Some of it was tied towards demand. Some of it, like the cloud services, is tied towards web services online. And if you don't have a good, healthy venture capital market, you don't have a lot of new companies looking for web services. You could kind of see where each company has its unique set of problems right now. But the market's doing much better than I thought um, it would be, seeing that there's some problems. Um, let's bring in CFP Chad Burton to see what he's seeing out there and to plug the seminar that's coming up Thursday, February 9th at the Cupertino's Juniper Hotel. Lovely hotel, great parking, easy parking, great restaurants close by, 630 to 830. You can sign up today at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Mr. Burton, how are you? I am well, Rob. How are you? Good. Let's talk about the event. Uh, what are a few topics yeah. that you're going to be covering at the set event, income and retirement and tax planning? Well, it's more than a few. It's probably the most intense retirement planning event anybody would ever attend. You're, uh, you're making that up. You're making it sound like a Fox show. Uh, no, I think most people say it's okay. It's like drinking out of a fire hose in terms of information. But uh, <clears throat> the goal is to really truly cover all of the different issues that people face in retirement. And, you know, I've, I've been doing this for over 28 years. And at this point, we're still historically low on long-term interest rates. Um, okay. Not at the low, but historically low. If you look at the ten-year Treasury now, back at three point four percent, but we have decent short-term rates. I mean, you can get over four and a half percent on you know twenty-six week T-bills at TreasuryTrack.gov. So there, there's there's it, it's better for fixed-income investors and and your safe money these days. But what is retirement truly going to cost people? Right, you have your expenses, but you're not working anymore. So what are your hobbies? What's what's going to motivate you to get it, get out of bed? What are your healthcare costs? What are your taxes going to be as you withdraw from your IRA, your 401k, as you sell stock to pay your expenses? Mm -hmm. How do you shift from that accumulation phase where it's really easy, Rob, right? I mean, timing the market doesn't matter when you're, when you're just buying. You're, every two weeks, it's, the best thing you can do is just continue to invest. Timing the market doesn't work. But when you switch to the decumulation phase, you do need to time your withdrawals. You need to make sure that you set up your asset allocation so that you can get through recessions. Okay. Or periods of time when stocks and bonds are down at the same time, like 2022. It's interesting that you so say that because you just you just scared me a little bit. Like, is this going to happen again? And is it going to happen the year that I retire? And I think you're trying to tell me I better plan for it just in case. Well, yeah, I mean, you go through booms and busts in the economy, right? You go through periods of time where. Uh, you get an overheated job market, you start to get inflation, and the feds want to raise interest rates. It's happened before. Um, and so we've, we we went through this period of time where stocks and bonds were going up together, um, more of a closer correlation to one, as we call it, into the business, right? It's, it's not – when we were younger, we used to explain, hey, when you invest in a portfolio, it's like an engine, right? You got one piston going up and the other piston's going down. Um, so you got a couple pistons going up and other pistons are going down, right? It, it, well, for the last few years, it was stocks and bonds going up together. 
Um, so yeah, we'll we'll go through these periods again. It doesn't scare me. It, we've we've had them before. Um, but we look back through history, the stock market's averaged over 10% and 74% of the time the market's been positive over the last 50 years. The stocks will take care of you over time. You just don't want to sell when either stocks or bonds are down at the same time. It's interesting because recently I've been putting a, a, a thought on your and my 25-year career of financial media and what once was beating the markets and being smarter than every financial planner or uh, investor out there has turned into what does retirement look like for me? And I'm really, really glad you're here to help us with this. Thursday, Cupertino, 6.30 to 8.30, February 9th. Where does the tax reduction strategy fit in with all this? Because I, I have a kind of naive personal approach to taxes. I don't mind paying taxes if I'm getting the benefits from that state, if I'm getting the benefits from the federal government, if I'm getting the benefits from the local grocery store. But in retirement, I'm gonna have a little bit tighter hold of my money, I think. Yeah, and um, the issue is is that there's different phases of your withdrawal strategy in retirement, uh -huh. especially for people that are able to save up and retire at a younger age, right? Let's say you're able to retire at 60. Okay. Um, so you've got this withdrawal phase. You're not going to have Medicare benefits kick in until you're 65. So you've got a withdrawal phase from early retirement to Medicare. You've got the next phase is from that point in time to when you start taking Social Security, which more and more people are delaying till they're 70. If, if either them or their spouse that's got a lower income is going to live past you know mid 80s. Yeah. And then you've got from the date you take Social Security to age 73, which is the new age, required minimum distribution age, as of a little over a month ago from the Secure 2.0 Act that was passed. At 73, you have to start taking required minimum distributions from your IRA, 401k, 403b. And so for those people that have different types of accounts, meaning they have pre-tax 401ks, pre-tax IRAs, they have tax-free Roths, they have a brokerage account, that they just invested in either mutual funds, ETFs, or stocks outside of retirement, and they have their mm -hmm. cash, and in some cases, annuities. They have all these different buckets. And so which buckets do you take from, in what order do you alternate to keep your taxes lower for longer? Do you blend that income to keep your taxes lower for longer? It's just a little different, because you and I are always, you know, we're working, and we're trying to say, how do I pay the least amount of taxes this year? But mm -hmm. once you're retired, you have this limited asset that's gonna last 35 plus years, and so it's, it's, it's better to look way longer out in the future and say, how do I keep taxes lower for longer? I don't want to one off this too much, but I'm going to go off your script for just a second. Um, I'm getting a lot of questions from people that say, I want to take Social Security early and invest it because I don't need it. Grow that money, put it maybe in a Roth or somewhere. I don't even know what the plan is there. Um, but what do you think about taking it early, Social Security, investing it, thinking you could get better than an 8% return, which is what the government's going to give you for not taking it that year? Well, I, I think that if you're single and you don't think you're going to live much past your you know, 80-year-old mm -hmm. life expectancy, then go for it. But if you've got a spouse that's going to last longer than you are, what you have to do is do some spousal planning. There's a lot less things that we can do now with Social Security because they've, they've passed a lot of changes. Yeah. But if you're the higher income earner and your spouse, um, what happens in a married couple when the first person dies, the survivor keeps the larger check no matter what happens. And so you have to do that planning and say, okay, you're going to live to a ripe old age. And, and the idea is from full retirement age, which is most you know, people is age 67, 
if you hold off for three years to take it at age 70, that's like an 8% rate of return. So, yeah. you know, the most you can get right now on something really safe for a couple of years is around four and a half percent. So I, I don't know how you're going to do that for the rest of your life. Um, so that, that's, that's a fair. tough one. I mean, I, I would, I don't think, I think the big social security changes are going to be coming for people that are under 50 right now, where we're going to either okay. pay higher taxes or have to wait longer to take it. I feel like I just cleared that hurdle. So I'm on the good side. You're on the younger side of 50. How can you test to be sure people are ready for retirement? And you're going to be talking about this at the event Thursday, Cupertino, Juniper Hotel. But how can you test to be sure? Well, uh, part of it is that life plan situation, like really explore your expenses and maybe take some sabbaticals and take some time off and say, okay, the first month is easy. You relax. You got your cell phone finally turned off. You're you're, you're taking a break from all that, but, but then what, you know, you go from really, really desired and wanted and needed at work to, okay, now it's all you. So what's your life plan? Explore those expenses. What is it truly going to cost to motivate you to get you out of bed, exercise, you know, enjoy life. Right. And then what, what is that going to cost in terms of healthcare costs based on your retirement age? And then Medicare, your Medicare part B premiums, which, you know, go way up if you have a higher income. Uh, all of your other medical expenses. And then you have to say, okay, which accounts am I drawing from? What's that going to cost tax wise? Mm -hmm. You got to really explore those expenses. And then what I like to do is, is run a very conservative projection to say, if we have kind of one of those worst case scenarios where from like 2007 to 10 years later, a balanced portfolio averaged like 5.6% because of the big great recession and all the other things that happened. What if that happened for like 30 years? And could your portfolio last till 100 at a really low rate of return like that? Um, and if that's the case, okay, let's move on and, and say, let's run these scenarios, these very detailed cash flow uh, simulations that include very detailed tax modeling and use what's called Monte Carlo simulations, which takes historical market returns, essentially Robin Wilkes, you know, over a thousand different simulations on what's happened in the past and what it could happen in the future. And you can get a success rate on your portfolio and how long it'll last. And so if you can get, you know, those pass those two tests and say, okay, I've got more than an 85% chance and I can then rerun the model with the right asset allocation that's right for you with a proper withdrawal strategy that also helps lower taxes, then that's when you know, okay, now I am ready to retire. I'm, I'm ready to pull the trigger and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go retire now. Sounds good. We've got about 30 seconds before we have 30 seconds. Any last thoughts? No, it's, it, a lot goes into the idea of planning for retirement. And yep. it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of tax issues, a lot of ways to set up your portfolio and go through good economies and bad economies. But you can set it up so that you're not nervous when you go through events like 2022. You'll still be a little bit nervous, but you're not going to be panicking and wondering if you have to go back to work. Thanks very much. You can meet CFP Chad Burton in Cupertino, California, February 9th, 630 to 830. If you're thinking about becoming a client, I think you should come meet him, see what he does. He's going to talk about income in retirement planning. He's going to be talking about how to make it last, sometimes through tinkering with taxes, sometimes through allocation, sometimes through withdrawal strategies. It's a great event. You'll take a lot of notes. Sign up for it at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. Thursday, February 9th, 6.30 to 8.30. Thanks, Chad. This interview featured on The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. 
I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Joining me now, as he is wont to do every Wednesday at this time, Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. I start my mornings every day at briefing.com, page one, and I end my week every week with the big picture written by Patrick O'Hare. So he's in my life six times a week at least. Mr. O'Hare, today is hump day but it's also Fed Day. Is there any chance anything surprising is going to come from the Federal Reserve today? Good morning, Rob. Um, Good morning. Yeah, I think I think there is certainly a, a chance, and uh, I think there's also a chance that you know there could be something surprising from from the market today. Um, I alluded to as much in the big picture, or uh, excuse me, the page one column this morning. Um, and what I was driving at really is that, you know, we talked about on briefing.com and I think even on your show is that, you know, the market, the market's been fighting the Fed, you know, right? The adage is that you don't fight the Fed, but the market is. And you can see it based on the behavior of the Treasury market, you know, the weakness in the dollar, right? The, the, the rise in stock prices. Um, and, you know, what I think could be a surprise factor today is that if, you know, I think I think the Fed chair is going to really try to sound hawkish, right? I think he's going to try mm-hmm. and do something to rein in the rally effort and to certainly to squash the market's expectations that the Fed is going to cut rates before the end of the year. But, you know, the market might still have some fight left in it. And we'll see that if, the, if in fact, the market does have fight, we'll see that in a weakening dollar uh, and a, you know, what I said, it was kind of like a non-plus treasury market following a, uh, any remarks from, uh, from Fed Chair Powell that are indisputably hawkish. Um, and so that'll be some telling price action here later this afternoon. Um, but uh, it's always an element of surprise right now because we're at a, at a key inflection point or getting close to one, we think, as it relates to what the Fed you know, is going to be doing with with its monetary policy. Very, very interesting because CNBC and Bloomberg is just filled with people like trying to predict what he's going to do. And um, there's a lot of drama on what he's going to say and not say. Um, But let's wait and talk about what he did next week um, and see how it plays out. But that comes in just a few hours. So that'll be a market changer for sure. A lot of tech companies are starting to report numbers. Um, I would say a lot of wheat, a lot of chafe. There's a lot going on. Any update on what you're seeing in earnings so far this year? Well, earnings uh, for this fourth quarter reporting period are, are being labeled, you know, better than feared. Uh, okay. But that doesn't mean that they're good. You know, we're still seeing uh, the blended earnings growth rate right now, according to facts, that is uh, is down four point. Eight uh, percent uh, year over year. Um, and, I'm sorry, 4.7 percent year over year. Uh, in early January, you know, analysts were expecting a 4.8 percent decline. So, you know, haven't really, you know, moved that needle much. Which, uh, for your listeners, that is the surprise because usually every reporting period, you see the uh, the end uh, the ultimate earnings number be about. Uh, two to four percentage points higher than what was projected going into the reporting period. And uh, and we haven't seen really any movement at all in this reporting period. And so, um, you know, yet uh, the bar was lowered going into it. A number of companies are, you know, hurtling that bar, but not as many companies as would typically hurdle the bar. Uh, so, 
yeah, I you know, would call this a, a less than spectacular earnings period average at best. Um, and I don't think that there's been a lot in terms of the guidance that has created a lot of confidence in our estimation anyway that the forward 12-month earnings estimate has stopped going down or will stop going down. We think it's still going to be subject to downward revision here in the coming weeks and months. As my mother used to say, use your words. Do you think that the rally that we had in January is at risk because we haven't seen enough earnings revisions down? I don't want to put the words in your mouth. So you use your words on what we're seeing with market performance versus earnings cuts and job cuts. Sure, sure. Well, I, I guess I would point your your listeners back to the big picture column I posted on Friday because, yes, I do think that the rally is okay. in jeopardy. Um, uh, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to collapse from here. It just means that, okay. you know, I think the, you know, the gist of that big picture column is that we're running into a wall of valuation constraint, right? We had a, a, a undeniably really great start to the year, right? That took the S&P 500 to about 18 times forward 12-month earnings, uh, which in our estimation are still subject to being marked down. So uh, you're at 18 times forward 12-month earnings currently, and that's a premium to the 10-year average of 17.2. And we just are hard-pressed to believe that the market should be trading at a premium multiple right now uh, when earnings estimates are still in a state of decline. And, um, and therefore, we think that you know there may be a little more upside here, possibly, but it's going to be really more challenging now to get that breakout leg, we think, because of the valuation constraint that the market is going to be facing. And so, you know, you might see some backing and filling in a technical term here coming off this big January move. Um, but we need, you know, the likes of Apple and Amazon and Alphabet to kind of allay some of those earnings growth concerns if we're going to get that next breakout leg. And uh, that all remains to be seen here. But we'll know we'll know a lot more in the next 24 to 48 hours. Great commentary. Quick question or thought on putting these puzzle pieces together. We're over a year into a market correction or market downturn. Uh, I feel like if we go two to three years with this, it'll be better in the long run. It'll clear out more of the problems like valuation and um, inflation. Um, is that a wrong way of thinking about it? Like, because we always say recessions tend to last somewhere between 18 months and 36 months, which is a year and a half to three years. So maybe we have a little bit more work to do, but if we go longer, will it be more beneficial in the long term for people who are 40 and under? Maybe is the right way of saying that. Right. Well, I, I would agree with that uh, assessment, Rob, just because, you know, um, interest rates have been so low for so long. You get these, these you know, massive bull markets, right? And uh, And I think that they're illusory in some respects because having rates at the zero bound for as long as we had is not normal. So the path to normalization is, is a bumpy one, but it's one that needs to be taken. And, um, and when you get back into a market that's more fundamentally oriented, where you have both inflation rates and market rates at normalized levels, um, then I think you get less volatility you know, in the behavior of, of the capital markets. And that lends itself to more confidence on the part of the investor when they can look at things and not think that something they're going to own is going to go down 20 percent 
in a day or up 20% in a day, which is obviously the preferred thing. But, you know, but normalization is a good thing where you have more moderate price moves. Uh, and, and we think that that's really a better condition uh, for the for the investment-minded individual uh, and one that lends more confidence to investing when you don't have to deal with all of the excessive volatility that comes with, you know, uh, those wide swings in interest rates. I swear I love your commentary. I, I sit on my edge and I, I listen to it a second time as I'm editing it later today. Any last thoughts? We've got about two to three minutes and I always want to give you the last thoughts and a little bit of time to run with some content that's in your head that you want people to hear. Sure. Well, well, thank you. You may not want to know everything that's in my head, um, but uh, there's a lot turning over right now in my head just as it relates to the potential for commentary because we have, you know, a lot of proving ground yet to cross here, um, not only over the course of this this remainder of this week, but, you know, in the weeks and months ahead. And we have those key earnings reports I referenced earlier. We have the December employment situation report, uh, and we have the ISM non-manufacturing index out on Friday. And then, of course, we have the Fed today and, and Fed Chair Powell's commentary. So as a marketing analyst, I have to kind of like take a step back and, and wait for that information um, to uh, kind of form, you know, what I'm going to ultimately write for the big picture here on, on Friday. But uh, anyone that's been reading that picture picture would pick up on a strain of somewhat, you know, uh, a level of cautiousness anyway, that we've kind of gotten overstretched here uh, off this January move, which um, which is nice to see. You know, it was nice to see the move, you know, the, the big gains early in the year, but it's brought us up to a point where I think valuation is going to be a constraining factor for further upside here in the near term. Got a little over a minute and a half, so you have a little bit more time. Big picture, any thoughts on what you might be publishing this Friday? Well, you know, kind of just sort of what I alluded to. I'm just, I, I it's going to be born out of what we hear over the next okay. three days here, um, and you know, be either out of something that you know we take away from the Fed decision, or what we hear out of Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet and or what we hear from that December employment situation report. So uh, there's a lot coming to a head here, and I just need to kind of like take it all in and and um, and, uh, and then figure out what it ultimately means here for the market and for the uh, investment-minded individual. It'd be really interesting to see how the Fed positions themselves today because the market is leaning one way, kind of away from the Fed's stern stance, while the Fed has to stay stern at this point in time to kind of clear out some more of those excesses they want cleared out while they have the microphone. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. I start my day each and every day with Briefing.com. Late afternoon, I go through and I read all the in-play, um, see if there's anything that their uh, authors decided were important for us to see. I highly recommend the service. It's for domestic and international news. And it's one of the things that I, I look forward to every day. Briefing.com and Patrick O'Hara, thank you so much. I'm Rob Black. Questions about Social Security? Check out the Social Security Retirement Guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. Many years ago, I was fortunate enough to run into CFP Chad Burton. And given a little bit of time together, I, I just really grew impressed with what a certified financial planner's credentials were and how they have an important relationship with getting people to retirement and keep them in retirement with an income, which is kind of the goal. Earlier, I admitted I don't want to end up in a Georgia 
uh, trailer park like we see in TV shows. That was like the image that I had of poverty and, and retirement. I don't want that. So I need CFP Chad Burton. He's done a great year in the last 25. He's got a great job in the last 25 years explaining these ideas that are a little bit complicated. We were just talking about safe money, Chad, and you're going to be talking about wealth preservation, retirement planning, income taxes, much, much more at a similar coming up February 9th at Juniper Hotel. People can sign up at your website, chadburton.com. You're a regional director and a CFP. We were just recently talking about safe money and where you can put it. And I'm surprised how many people send me emails like, um, where do you put your money online? What bank do you use? And I think that's a good question for you. Where would you put your safe money now? Well, yeah, I mean, so again, some some of the online FDIC insured options that are out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, Marcus, Capital One Three Sixty, Ally, you know, you, you're able to get three and a half percent in some cases more on FDIC insured online banks. We've got a service where it kind of puts all of these together in one spot with really high FDIC insurance for clients. But um, the other thing that you can do that's pretty easy um, is TreasuryDirect.gov. Um, you can buy you know, I bonds and T bills from anywhere, you know, the shorter term. And, you know, it takes a while to kind of figure out how to do it. It's you could literally open up and, and fund an account treasury direct.gov in about 15, 20 minutes. Um, it takes a while to figure out how and what you want to buy in terms of T bills anywhere from, let's say you wanted 26 you know, T bills that mature in 26 or 52 weeks but it's possible to get over four and a half percent safe money from the government and have them mature, you know, every 26 weeks if you wanted to. I'm at bankrate.com right now, taking a look because they have a, they publish a lot of rates and they, they kind of help you with mortgage rates and 15 year and 30 year and jumbo rates. Mm-hmm. But they do have a, a section on the best high yield savings accounts for January 2023. And the one that jumps out to me is 4.35% with my savings direct but it gets very low ratings. Is there a quality yep. assurance that you want? Like maybe you only want 4% or 3.7% if it's going to be better quality paperwork, if it's going to be less hassle, is it going to be easier to get to? Uh, how much need do you have to look for the quality of the institution you're using? Well, it's huge. So first of all, if you have a living trust, there's some of these online ones that don't even allow a living trust. Oh, I didn't know that. So that is a that's a key one, right? Because if you put a bunch of money in these things and then you pass away and you you put yourself into a probate situation when you've done a living trust, so um, that is one of the issues that we deal with all the time. So there's some other it's 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 tough because I could really talk poorly about a couple of them. Yeah. Um, there's one company that used to do kind of like you know micro loans, and then now they're trying to get into the business of these online FDIC insured banking. I've had, I've heard terrible things about it. Um, so stick with the bigger well-known ones. Um, some of the ones first make you set the account up and to do a bunch of paperwork to change it into the name of the trust. Um, so that, that is kind of key. Um, if you have that much safe money, you, you tend to be working with a financial advisor cause you're you know close to or at retirement and, you know, talk to the advisor about it before you go set up an account. Um, at, at treasurydirect.gov or whatever. You got to make sure it's set up properly, either under the name of a living trust or transfer on death. So if something happens to you, it doesn't go through probate. Good stuff. And I think the lesson here is the higher the yield, the more questions you should ask. Um, mm-hmm. Don't chase yield. 
How do you work to transition highly concentrated stock positions? As in the Bay Area, a lot of people work for tech companies and mm-hmm. a lot of their wealth is in one name. Going into retirement, what do you do? Yeah, and, and one more thing on that. I, you mentioned Bankrate, another place that has a decent um, place to look for online savings and things like that is Nerd Wallet. Mm-hmm. Easy name to remember, right? Nerd Wallet. So check that out. Okay, and then going into highly concentrated stock positions. I mean, this is so common with, you know, Bay area and tech and everything else. Right. Um, in fact, as people begin their career and working, it's like, I can put money into my 401k, but I'm also getting RSUs at vest and I just hold on to them. And all of a sudden people get towards retirement, they realize 30, 40, 50% of their net worth is tied up into a single company stock. And you go through, you know, really good times and then really rough times. I mean, just look at Tesla, right? Um, and so there's, first of all, if you get to that point where you've got the company that you work for, most of your retirement savings is also in that company's stock. The one thing that you need to concentrate on is your RSUs. That's where most people are building up their single stock problem, which is a good problem to have, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's still wealth. So one of the things that you have to to do is say, okay, on RSUs, restricted stock units, as they vest, there's no tax purpose to continue to hold them. So when an employee gets those and they already have a bunch of the company they work for, whether it's Salesforce or, or you know Microsoft, Cisco, whatever, as they vest, the company sells some shares to you know withhold from taxes. You should be going in, selling the remainder of those shares and investing it in a more diversified portfolio. So you don't continue to grow this problem. Um, and so that's one thing to, to reduce it that way. So let's say though, you get to retirement, you're five years away, or you're in retirement, you retire, you've got a whole bunch of money in a single stock. This is when you need to do some really, you know, careful financial modeling, very detailed financial plan, very cash flow oriented, where you can clearly see, you know, tax issues and run different models and things like that. And let, let's model this out. Let's model a situation where what does your retirement look like if the company that where you have too much money, what, what if it falls 50% and then never really fully recovers? Is your retirement going to be ruined? You have to clearly see that on paper. So, okay, this is, an, this is a possibility that's happened many times in the past, if not worse, if you think of Enron and other places like that. Um, sure. And then you do another model that says, what if I just sell it, go ahead and pay the taxes and invest in a more conservative portfolio? And how does that look? Am I still going to be okay after taking that tax hit? What does my long-term cash flow look like? What does my Monte Carlo simulations look like where it's where you can actually get, based on historical market returns of different asset classes, how successful does your retirement look like based on how much you're going to draw and how you're allocated? And that way you can at least compare those two options. And then the next is working through maybe a combination of, of results. Maybe you sell a little, pay some taxes, reinvest, or maybe you use some options to whittle away at the position. And I don't know how much time we have left in it, but this is where, this is where I truly believe that options, you might see a lot online and things like that of people that day trade and think it, need a lot of classes that you can take and money that you can spend on trying to learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. I look at it as options like selling calls or buying protective puts as a way to protect wealth or 
identify something that you want to sell and try to earn a little bit of extra income on it. What's interesting, so for, that you, what's interesting that you just said is CNBC makes options look like a way of creating wealth, not necessarily preserving wealth. Well, I'm not going to say that it's not possible because there's going to be people that do make a living on day trading. Right. But it's, you know, that's their full-time job. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's not for somebody that's working eight hours a day and then they're going to use some options and and make a bunch of money because most of the people that I meet that do that, their returns net of taxes over time are lower than if they just would have left the money in the S&P 500 and continue to invest monthly. Well said. So, um, you know, what I, what I do with a lot of clients that get overweight and whether it's been Apple or whatever position we're dealing with, you can start selling calls on a position, which essentially creates a little bit of income and it draws a line in the sand. You know, sometimes it's 15 to 16% higher than where the stock is now, where you then start to trim that position. But it allows you to participate in a portion of the upside it buffers some of the downside risk by creating that income from selling the call, which is you know selling the right from somebody else to buy it from you if it if it goes above a certain price, and it kind of creates a, a way to hey let's let's create some income let's start to to whittle down this position, um, but still participate in some of the upside because that's what we deal with is like people just don't want to part with the stock because it made them wealthy. Well, eventually you got to start parting with it, and so you might as well create some income and and pick a point which you will start selling psychologically people do get attached and I've got a little bit of that in my portfolio where I'm like, ah, and what's even funnier about that is I talked about the first stock I ever bought and I look back at it and I said, if I had held it, I would have made a lot more money, a lot more just by holding it. But I was too smart for my own good 25 years ago. Well, you know, yeah, we've been doing this together for a long time. Remember how GE used to be an amazing company? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Things change, right? Things definitely change. So other ways is, is when you're trying to say, I want to get some income, um, you can sell some calls and use that income to buy some protective puts. So at least it kind of puts this, this known amount on the upside and the downside on a position that you own too much of. So if you think about it, options, you could say, I know I want to or need to start selling this or need to start creating some income off of some of these positions. Maybe I can use options to do that. Or if it's a large position, you don't need any income for quite a period of time. There's things called exchange funds, which your company stock might be eligible for, where it's a way to take a single stock position, lock it up into more of a fund, and then at the end of a period, kind of come out with a more diversified portfolio. And then another great one is if you have charitable intent, a charitable remainder trust to get a tax break and create income for your lifetime is another really good option. We'll talk about that and more when we return. You can find CFP Chad Burton at chadburton.com. Sign up for the event there. That's chadburton.com. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.